Welcome. Hello. What you'll hear today is a discussion of the key themes and important takeaways from Property Week's recent industrial and logistics conference. We are Ali Greenwood and Sophie Phillips from Bird and Bird's real estate and construction teams. We attended the event and these are our thoughts on the latest industry trends. Ali, what would you say the general sentiment was for the future of the sector? What do you think the driving factors were that were discussed at the event? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting first question. I have to say that one of the first words that we saw at the conference was permacrisis, not something I've heard before, but that being an extended period of instability and security. It is clear that this is the current situation of our economy with many challenges, but also many opportunities facing the logistics supply chain sector, such as geopolitical issues and just challenges facing the economy, that being rising interest rates and inflation, etc. On the whole, however, the future of the sector continues to look strong despite its challenges. We could have a whole podcast on this going into nearshoring, onshoring, speculative developments, slowing of investment volumes. But to try and distill it down, there has been an optimistic start to 2023, despite consumer confidence in the economy not being at an all-time high. Take-up of space in Q1 was not incredibly high, but still above the yearly average, not taking into account the pandemic. Larger deals appear to be slowing, that is, units above 400,000 square feet. And then Kevin Moffitt, who gave a fascinating intro, provided information that suggests that 30 to 35 million square feet was to be taken up this year, increasing in the second half of the year, which is less than last year but still a substantial amount. Yeah, that's that's definitely still a lot, isn't it? Yeah. That being said, on the flip side of that, vacancy levels have risen from 4% to 5% and they are expected to rise to 8% before dropping again. However, there is no sign that buildings are staying vacant with vacancy time still hovering around one month, which compared to pre-pandemic is very low. That was 12 to 18 months. Again, despite retail growth appearing to decline over the next couple of years, this is counterpunched by the fact that undersupply of units still remains. And then with the all-important yield information, Savills have said the prime yields have moved to 4.75 from 5. And I would say that the panels on the talk that Kevin did believe that it would drop further in the year to 4.25 or 4.5. So keeping on the topic of trends, what is incredibly important and has been for a while is sustainability, which continues to be a key trend, as I said. Can you, Sophie, tell us any more about this? I'd love to. I mean, it, it's been a key trend for quite a while, I think. We're all, we're all familiar with the, with the buzzwords here around sustainability, but it isn't just buzzwords. There's a very real effect on the industry, and it's clear from the event that the industry is definitely reacting to that. So we know that ESG is important to landlords in terms of making sure that assets remain resilient and don't become stranded, and to funds who want to make sure that they're investing in assets that are going to be resilient in the future, but also to tenants, because I think this lines up with what we're hearing from clients as well. Tenants want energy efficient buildings. They want somewhere that isn't going to be hugely expensive to heat and to light. But what was quite interesting about the event was we saw an increased focus on the S of the ESG, so that environmental, social and governance initiative. So there's quite a lot of interest and focus, not just on the environmental side, which is what we've seen to date, but also a focus on social. So focusing what companies are able to do for the local workforce in terms of educating children and students about the industry, which is obviously very key for a construction industry with 
workforce challenges and in terms of engaging with the local community how it can improve the local area and provide amenities I think this ties in with the trends around the industry about innovation and how that innovation is pushed by key stakeholders, you know, the shareholders in the company and the customers of the company. So we all know about the power of the grey pound. We know about the power of the Gen Z pound, much more environmentally conscious and socially aware demographic who are looking to ensure that they are buying from companies that have the same values that they do but innovation is also pushed by employees and it was clear from the event I think it's clear from the industry generally that buildings have to be constructed in order to hit sustainability requirements Uh, but they do also have to be somewhere that people want to work so the well building standards were spoken about and the concept of a well enabled building is a popular one people want to be able to get their workforce to turn up they want to get them back in the buildings and they want to be able to actually engage and appoint people it's a very competitive market so providing a building that can accommodate a diverse workforce so for example one that has lighting in the car park or prayer rooms you know appropriate toilet and changing facilities proper lighting in the actual building so it's not just all electric and it's actually a nice place to work that's actually really key so it was, it was very key that that is still a trend that that thinking about employee requirements is still an issue and it is still very much a factor in looking at how buildings are designed and constructed Ali, do you think there was an area that came under particular scrutiny during the presentations that we heard Yes, and it's interesting that you were just touching on how buildings these additional areas and the one that came under a lot of scrutiny was planning. In particular, it was evident that the sector felt that it was being forgotten about, particularly behind residential. Holly from St. Modwin believes that there should be greater support for the intensification of industrial land, either through multi-level development of the blending of warehouses with other uses, for example. I definitely agree that planning came under quite a lot of scrutiny. And to be honest, that lines up with what we're hearing from our own client contacts and people we meet at industry events in general. What would you say were the key areas of improvement that were discussed for planning that would be of most interest to our listeners? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I had the opportunity to sit at a fascinating planning roundtable hosted by Quad regarding how planning can be influenced, improvements driven and where it was falling behind effectively. I have to say it did become more of a place to share mutual frustrations, but the feeling was unanimous that the planning regime needs improving and streamlining. Three key areas of improvements were highlighted. Firstly, a continuity between local authorities and boroughs, especially given the apparent disconnect between officials and council development teams, and also with more accountability on the local authority in respect of missing deadlines and payments. I note that Richard Baines from Chancery Gate pressed this further, stating that they found that local and national planning policy does not always gel with other policies, such as those affecting ecology and transport. Secondly, there was an emphasis not to state that education was required of the local authorities. However, it was stressed that more understanding was a necessity to understand the sector and, importantly, the sector's requirements. Again, to paraphrase Richard Baines, such factors demand increased coordination and pragmatism from planning offices to ensure that a much-needed development can progress in a timely and efficient manner. 
And finally, sort of one that always comes up, just an adaption or maybe an evolution of use classes, in particular in relation to dark kitchens. I mean, as you can see, it's clear that there is a need for serious reform, education, understanding, communication from all major stakeholders is required to enable the delivery, no pun intended, of this fundamental use class. I'm not sure I can forgive you for that pun, Ali. I really can't. (laughs) Moving swiftly on. Another key challenge to the sector is power and how it's obtained. Electricity use is clearly part of this. What did you take away, Sophie, from the event around power on industrial and logistic projects? I think something key that came out of the talks around energy efficiency is the concept of efficiency more generally. Parties are really keen to make sure that the buildings that they are creating for use in the industrial and logistics industries are actually efficient. And I'm not just talking about the way that they're constructed. I'm talking about the way that they're used as well. Consultants have a big part to play here in terms of designing buildings that encourage flow of the workforce in the appropriate way. But data collection is a really key part of this as well. Landlords are quite interested in understanding how buildings are used at the moment, understanding where people congregate, understanding where parties want them to congregate, and looking at how the spaces can be designed to better enable an efficient workforce. So data collection is and ownership of that data is actually quite key for landlords who want to understand how best to utilise space and optimise that space and therefore get the most desirable tenants. So we've spoken about the key stakeholders at various elements of the project chain already today. We've spoken about the employees, we've spoken about the ultimate consumer, the funder. But if we focus in here on the key stakeholders, I'd say that's the tenants and the landlords and developers. Do you think that they're aligned in their desires for the sites? And what do you think were the key takeaways from the event in relation to this? I think that's a really good question and something that's maybe not ever evaluated together it's always quite separate and so to give a lawyer's answer to a certain extent yes they are aligned factors that are still important is location is still key both in terms of proximity to transport networks and rail is obviously going to be of greater importance going forward in a net zero carbon future but also as you've said just now in terms of being attractive to the competitive labor force touching on esg how warehouses work and what operators do in them is changing. And so the requirements of the buildings need to be adaptable. Properties need to be future-proof for not just the current tenants, but for future buyers. I've touched on speculative builds previously, but they are still part of the course and parties need to be able to build something that can be adapted for or by tenants and not at great cost. There needs to be a focus on not over-designing for cost and sustainability reasons, but still designing for flexibility. Interestingly, on ESG, when occupiers were asked what was important to them, they put ESG at the bottom of their concerns compared to other cost factors, whereas for investors, this was right at the top. That was very surprising, and it was very surprising for the panellists also who say that on the doorstep, that's not what they're hearing. But it is an interesting point to see when put down on paper that it seems to be quite low for occupiers. The desire for grade A building, as in most other sectors, is still a driving force. 50% of market take up in 2022 was BTS. However, 
this year it has slowed. And finally, interestingly, in 2022, there was the lowest uptake of secondhand units. It would be great to say that was purely ESG driven, but it will be interesting to see how this develops over the coming year slash years with the challenges, as mentioned previously, squeezing costs for the major stakeholders, as we just mentioned, the landlords, tenants and developers. So I think just to wrap it up, Sophie, is there anything that you would like to particularly end on? Yeah, I think the outlook is positive. There's still room for growth. This is still a popular area and there's still a lot of interest. I think key takeaways are that automation is going to continue to develop and become more important. So power availability and cost is key. There's a big growth in ultra urban logistics. So location is still vital. Multi-level warehousing was discussed in terms of advantages, so more space and disadvantages as well. So you've got more complex building structures, I suppose, in terms of the weight bearing and the added associated cost of the construction there. But it's something to think about. The image of the industry perhaps needs some improvement, particularly in relation to planning. But overall, this is still an exciting area to be in and still one to watch. Thanks, Sophie. That's great. I want to say thank you all for listening. And if you do have any questions in respect of what we have just discussed or the sector in general, please do get in contact with Sophie or me. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you very much. Thank you.